Hello, everybody. Wanted to give a quick update on JumpLink. We have changed up the format of Tell Me What You Know to cover some timely news stories. Uh, these are stories that uh, you might not see from typical sources. This will allow us to uh, use JumpLink a little bit more so we can uh, keep researching uh, ways to make this experience a little more seamless for, for you all. Uh, recently, I published the app on the web, so you don't need to download an app anymore. Uh, just go to jump.link and hit a button that says Launch App. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, you can search for the jump links right there. Uh, no account is necessary to sign up to, to do it, but you can create an account uh, and add Tell Me What You Know to your favorites uh, so you can quickly see all the links that we share in the episodes. Uh, this week, we are officially launching the tool to other podcasters. Um, really looking forward to getting more feedback from people. Uh, it's still kind of you know very early days of, of figuring out how to use this thing and, and make it even better. So uh, if you have any feedback or find any problems with it, just shoot us a message on Instagram. I'm uh, really interested to, to hear, hear your feedback. Uh, so thanks, everybody, and enjoy the episode. What is going on, everybody? Today is Thursday, July 15th. This is episode five of season four of Tell Me What You Know. Uh, like we have been doing for the past few weeks, we'll be dropping some uh, jump links and within our story so you can kind of follow along get more information about what the hell we're talking about um, you've probably noticed that our format is just kind of changing week to week that's right and I like this format though yeah we're just going to give you our thoughts on a few stories that are happening around the world uh, I can't remember do we do like one like switch off or do we just go all three in a row how have we, we been doing this I, I, I think we've been doing a switch off okay you go I will I start go. okay good I'm going to start with some kind of uh We'll get, the, we'll get the bummer story out of the way first, but essentially, you know, one the, these stories come out all the time, but it's the end of the world as we know it. Um, back in 1972, some nerds at MIT predicted that civilization as we know it would come to an end sometime in the mid-21st century, like industrial civilization, right? Like not humans aren't going to all die, but shit's going to suck. Okay. Um, this team of therapists at, or sci- therapists, scientists at MIT uh, basically, they came up with a system dynamics model, which was published in the Club of Rome. And this model talked about what they called limits to growth, which meant that industrial civilization was on track to collapse sometime within the 21st century due to overexploitation of planetary uh, planetary resources. The, <clears throat> the the model or the study drew a lot of criticism in the 70s. It was recently been vindicated by a new study by, written by a senior director at KPMG. The latest study uh, was published in November 2020 in the Yale Journal of Industrial Ecology, and it kind of concluded that uh, a business-as-usual trajectory uh, of global civilization is speeding towards societal collapse. And at the worst, at the very most severe, uh, we're looking at a huge downturn in uh, as early as 2040. Okay. Um, this kind of it, it, it looked at like 10 key variables like population, fertility rates, Mortality rates, industrial output, pollution, food production, all that kind of stuff, um, and showed you know a serious halt in growth in uh, business as usual and comprehensive technology in around 2040. So you kind of look at these charts and you see pollution is the only thing kind of rising, whereas everything else kind of falls off within the next you know 19 years. Uh, kind of scary stuff. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I, I uh, disagree with them off the bat. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there doesn't there kind of feel like there's like a first shoe to drop kind of a thing. There just seems to be a lot of different um, potential things that could 
take society down. And but maybe that's just because, you know, we're inundated with more information. I don't know. Right. Like, I mean, like in just, 1970 as well, they were probably like, oh, yeah, if like, uh, you know, I, don't, I feel like it's hard to also predict the good that can come from technology as well, right? Like how we can reverse some of these things potentially. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't see that. It's a lot easier to see like, oh, yeah, if you keep, you know, mining all these stuff, all this stuff out of the ground, we're going to run out at this point and all that, using all that's going to cause all this, right? you know, all these like greenhouse gases and crap like that. But yeah. They didn't know. Well, they didn't that, know Elon Musk was coming to save us. That's right. That's right. Well, there was that um, uh, similar thing. It's, it, you're that similar argument about the car. Uh, before the car came, everybody thought in New York City that there was going to be so much manure that it was that all the streets were going to be under like yeah. ten or twelve feet of manure, and then they didn't see the car come, and obviously that wasn't going to be a problem. Um, right. So yeah, I, I agree. Now. Yeah, right. There's just new problems. Yeah. Um, yeah so again, yeah. I just you know this this study basically says that it doesn't mean that humanity will cease to exist, but rather that economic and industrial growth will kind of stop and then decline, which will hurt food production, standards of living, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, over the next, or I guess starting at the earliest, the most severe in the next like 19 years or so. Yeah. Which uh, not that long. But if you want to read more about it, there's a great Vice article. Uh, you can jump link growth, and we'll uh, we'll show you can read more about that that story there. Nice, I will do that actually. Vice does growth. a lot of good articles. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, Michael, I can see you got a nice beard. Uh, okay. So you might not have a you might not weigh in here much, but how do you feel about a Sunday shave? Uh, New York recently repealed a law that uh-huh. made it illegal for barbers to give haircuts and shaves on Sunday. This was a old archaic law. We've talked about do like about covering archaic laws on a, on a few episodes, but this was one that, that just got repealed a couple of days ago. Uh, Cuomo signed it out of existence. Uh, and yeah, it, it was a law that made it illegal for barbers to give a, a haircut or a shave on Sunday. And I, I thought this was pretty funny because they seem to say that it never gets, you know, enforced. And yeah, why would it ever get enforced? Right. Uh, but I guess somebody in Albany, New York, you know, said, oh, you know, barbers and they, they've been having a hard time with the pandemic, too. They should be able to give a haircut on Sunday. This guy uh, just had no idea that it was OK to do I, it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys have been giving haircuts on Sundays this whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> And so I thought this was ridiculous. Like, yeah, yeah, sign it out of existence. But at the same time, I also just don't do anything. Uh, if some cop wants to stop you and give you, I, it's a misdemeanor ticket. But um, I, I, I don't know. I thought that was that was ridiculous. I guess yeah, these laws, I are haven't uh, blue laws. Sorry. I don't know. I was going to say blue these, laws. Blue laws. Blue they're, laws. They're they're you know old religious laws that prohibit commerce basically on Sunday. Uh, right, yeah. I, I was trying to think. I know there's more of these, but I can't think of one right off the top of my head where it's like, did you know it's still illegal in like parts of Pennsylvania to drive your car less than eight miles per hour or something like that? You know, like Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Which it, just it just seems like instead of signing it out of law, it just seems easier to ignore it, I guess. There's less bureaucracy you have to go through and stuff like that. It, 
it seems but, like it's all formality, even the getting rid of it. Like, but where does it end? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, if you want to read a little bit more about about this law, maybe some other blue laws, uh, you can jump link Sunday Shave. Uh, read Sunday more about shave. it. Sunday Shave. Now, does it matter if just for our listeners out there? Does it matter if it's is it two words for this one? Uh, it is two words, but um, okay. it it. If if you just go to our you know if you just search Sunday shave two words you can find yeah. it yeah right. uh, we can do you can do full sentences Michael you could do uh, just key phrases or or single words oh, wow what a great product man <laughs> <laughs> everybody use it it would be great uh, all right my next story you know how there's those actors that you just know are the exact same in real life as they are on the screen I think like Tracy Morgan comes to mind right off the bat. Uh-huh. It's a good well, one. Well, I'm pretty sure JB Smoove is the exact same way. You might know him as Leon Black from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, hilarious dude. I've heard him on some podcasts, and he just seems to be literally the same person as he appears to be on TV, at least on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, uh, he got a little excited when he was talking to one of his agents, I guess, a few weeks ago. Um, he's a huge Shark Tank fan. He's got, as in his own words, he has so many ideas in his head. Uh, so when he thought he was accepting a role to go on like celebrity shark tank, he ended up saying he would go on shark week. <laughs> so he's hanging out with uh, like Brad Paisley, uh, Brad Paisley shark country and going uh, swimming with fishes on, uh, I guess this was, this was his past Tuesday. Um, I just kind of want to read you this. He said, uh, yeah. everybody knows that I'm a huge Shark Tank fan and I have tons of ideas just ready for Shark Tank. So initially when my manager called me, honestly, sometimes I get tunnel vision and there's a long moment of unclarity on what exactly this is. They'll tell me something, but I'll hear something totally different because I'm already juiced up. I'm ready for celebrity version of Shark Tank, you know? I feel like I can go up there and I'm a good judge of what is a great idea because I'm an ideas man myself. So I'm always ready to throw my ideas out there. <laughs> this idea <laughs> wizard ended up signing up for Brad Paisley's Shark Country on Shark Week. <laughs> um, he got certified to dive in the Bahamas. He said he felt right at home. He called himself the Black Dolphin. Uh, and then, of course, his brain immediately went to, maybe I can think of ideas based on Shark Week that I can try and take the Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, how can I benefit out of this? Anyway, uh, I think he's hilarious. But yeah, I, um, I kind of want to dovetail into – I'm over Shark Week. Shark Week sucks. Until over I see Shark people Week. like getting eaten on TV, I don't care about Shark Week anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely felt they, they reached their apex when they had, you know, a, a great white shark leap out of the water. What what yeah. more can you do? How many right. different celebrities can you well, put you have in to, a shark in a You uh, have to murder somebody. You have to let somebody get eaten live yeah. on TV. Yeah. Uh or and, uh like the make the Michael Phelps race, uh they they're in the same pool. I don't want to see him in like yeah. a, a tank next to him. Yeah, I agree. How fast? Agree. Michael Phelps is not fast unless he can actually outswim a shark that's trying to eat him. I, I agree. That's what I want to see. That's what I'm signing up for. Um, it, but I, I sort of miss the old days where like Shark Week was just them playing the old documentaries they had about sharks. Like you just knew you could watch some of the old documentaries. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't a whole thing. Yeah. Now it's you got Brad Paisley co-branding his whatever yeah anyway jumpling uh, jb go read the article about him it is it's a short read but i think jb smooth is hilarious uh it sounds like a guy i would really like to hang out with in real life as well so yeah he, he is he's probably the best 
new addition to curb like the the later seasons he's mm-hmm. awesome um well michael this one might interest you uh i don't know if you could fork over this amount of money right now but maybe in the future what are you saying uh super mario 64 mm. uh a sealed copy sealed copy yeah sells for 1.56 million dollars uh it recently broke a record that was set just two days earlier by the Legend of Zelda for NES that sold for $870,000. The collectibles market continues to heat up. I don't know where this ends. Maybe the end of maybe the, maybe this goes all the way to 2040 with the collapse yeah. of society. Uh, but are there that any will be games, our new currency? Yeah, collectibles. Uh, are, are there any games that you could see yourself like? Uh, well, let me, let me actually rephrase this question. If you were gonna go, if you were gonna go to uh, GameStop or whatever, like I know you're not, we're not buying like physical games right now. What mm-hmm. game do you think in 20 years right now that came out is gonna be worth 1.56 million dollars? It's hard because there, it's in, well, right now you can't say that because there's like literally nobody's buying hard copies. Uh, I think that's like over with, right? So yeah, I would guess like. Uh, an unopened, like first edition Skyrim, maybe, but so many more were made of those, like stuff like that. Like, so many more copies are out there. Like, you know, there's you see those people that have like these unopened, like, uh, original Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 64, unopened, um, Zelda Ocarina of Time, and they're selling for like five hundred thousand dollars. It's crazy, it's absolutely nuts, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I know I've mentioned this before on the show, but my mom, uh, well, not this part. My mom is moving, so I've been helping her pack up some stuff in her house. And I've just vacuum sealed all of my Beanie Babies uh, last week. <laughs> Did so you I, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I mean, they've been sitting in a trash bag for 15, 20 years now. Uh, I decided to vacuum seal them. There uh, might not be a better time than right now to, to cash them in. Well, you know, as we, we've talked about, like I should probably just put a – a price on the bulk of them and not say what's in there. It should be like, yeah, it's a mystery box. Like maybe there's something good in here. I don't know. Give me, give me a hundred bucks. I, I think that's, bucks. I think that's the best idea. I honestly, I think you could do like a thousand bucks. I think you really should maybe. do this thousand bucks. Mystery, mystery bag. I found an old bag of beanie babies. Thousand bucks. You it's take, take you to leave it and see what you, and yeah. see what you get. Yeah. I just feel like it wouldn't take that much time to go through and be like, are any of these worth anything? Well, couldn't you do that and then do the mystery box? Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be a mystery like sh- to you, right? Then it's kind of shady. I feel like the <laughs> right. No, it's not. If I know that it's not worth what I'm selling it for, but like they don't know, like I don't know what's in there. Maybe it's something good. <laughs> well, and now I'm on, you to be now the I'm like being recorded. Now I'm being recorded saying this, so like I have no plausible deniability when I when it comes down to it. <laughs> let's let's reach out to somebody in the collectibles industry. And see what the the ethical boundaries are here. Speaking because, of collectibles, when well, I yeah. was helping my mom move, uh, we found a box of old records, mm-hmm. like vinyls. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like there's like some good ones in there. I have no idea what they're worth, but like there's like uh, Rolling Stone Sticky Fingers in there. There's a Beatles, Beatles White Album. There's a John Prine Bruised Orange. Like all these. There's a, a Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Like all these. Uh, Solid records. I'm, I'm yeah. going to bring them up and, and put them on my turntable and see how, if they're in good shape still. I know you can like, you can probably repair them or refurbish them as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was pretty pumped to find that. I think they were like my dad's friends at one point. And uh, 
So I'm taking them. Nice. Um, Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like a box of probably 60 or 70 vinyls. Nice. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe there's a big Jefferson Starship fan out there that's missing one live album that I just happen to have. <laughs> exactly. You never know what you might have, and you never know like what what people are willing to spend. I mean, so people thing. still go go spend a good bit of money on records. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially, that, one, I mean, these are like legit from the '70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, quick story. I was throwing out some. I was donating some books that we had when we moved. And yeah. I had an old copy that um, I, I an old copy of the Hunt for Red October that uh, college girlfriend gave me, or I took <laughs> yes. from her dad. <laughs> right, I took from her dad, and uh, it was like a unique printing. Not a unique. I I don't know how unique it was, but like I looked it up now, and it could have sold it for like two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, so. did you tell the story on here? Or was that somewhere else you told me that story? I think I told you that story someplace else. I, okay. I wasn't on here. <laughs> All right. Uh, but you never know what's what's valuable uh, in, in your in your old stashes. That's why you got to hoard everything. Yeah. Right, you got a jump link for the video game thing? Oh, yes, I do. Uh, this is jump link game nerds. Game Two nerds. Words. Two words. Game nerds. I take offense to that. But <laughs> I knew. All, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Cool. Last one. We're talking about some psychedelics. Um. As the years go on, a lot of people's perceptions on psychedelics are changing from one of fear to one of hope. Uh, there's a lot of breakthroughs in how these substances can help with human mental health. There's been a lot of chemical or a lot of sorry, a lot of clinical trials across Europe uh, on 5-MeO DMT. It's also called smoking toad, the bufo toad. It's the venom from the bufo alvarius toad. It's vaporized and it can be inhaled. Uh, from what I've read, this isn't like a mushroom or, or LSD trip that's, you know, an eight-hour marathon of giggles or an eight-hour marathon of terror, depending on how well you handle the trip. Um, there's A lot of people are saying it's the most, psycho, or the most powerful psychoactive molecule on the planet. The effects occur just seconds after inhalation um, and only last typically 15 to 20 minutes on average, sometimes as, as few as seven minutes, and I think on the longer end, around an hour. Uh, but those who have taken it report sensations of eternal bliss and boundlessness, some encounter themselves as God or the unitary consciousness that underlies all reality. Pretty powerful stuff here. The Bufo Toad is now getting the C-list celebrity bump as well, thanks to folks like Flipper Flop host Christina Hack and uh, and Hunter Biden. Both said the experience uh, was life-changing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they said they like found great healing with it. Mike Tyson talked about his its use on uh, the Joe Rogan experience. He called it the Toad. He said it knocked him off his feet. Basically said, I came across this thing called the toad. I smoked this medicine, drug, whatever you want to call it, and I've never been the same. I, I look at life differently. I look at people differently. It's almost like dying and being reborn. It's inconceivable. I tried to explain it to some people, to my wife. I don't have the words to explain it. It's almost like you're dying. You're submissive. You're humble. You're vulnerable. But you're invincible still and all. Um, so they basically have this like single 50 milligram vaporized dose that it produces hallucinogenic uh, experiences like within one second of, of, of inhalation, uh, kind of crazy stuff, but there's been a lot of, uh, like I said, there's, there was a, in a recent European study after one single use, um, it was shown to produce a sustained enhancement of satisfaction with life and easing of anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Hmm. So, um, I don't know. You see like, uh, like psilocybin is being 
decriminalized in a lot of places. Like there's been a big jump with these mind altering substances, basically. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, a lot of kind of they're kind of being health. seen as more therapeutic than than they are dangerous. Like, at least yeah. if used in the correct circumstances. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how if if I would ever do like I don't know if I'd smoke toad venom. Uh, it seems like there might be some other stuff in there, but maybe uh, it's natural. It is, yeah, it is natural. Um, and a lot of natural things can kill you. Uh, not that I think this would kill kill me, but um, uh, I guess DMT gets is naturally produced in the body as well. Like, mm-hmm. I guess it, it, again, Joe Rogan has talked about this a lot. And like, people come up. Uh, Michael Pollan uh, wrote that book, How to Change Your How to Change Your Mind, uh, looking at psilocybin and some of these other drugs, and and he came on and gave a anecdotal story about when he smoked DMT, um, and I guess like he he described it as being like in a rocket ship, like you are like mm-hmm. blasting away from your body, uh, like your ego just kind of like falls away and you just become like one with the universe or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but again, it, it is produced naturally in the body, and is and the thought is that potentially like when you die, this this DMT just like floods your floods your men, your your brain essentially, and like you fade yeah. away or whatever. Uh, so, huh. so who knows? Maybe it's like a way that you can overcome those anxieties and there's some good use to it. Yeah, um, that's what it sounds like. Anyway, Jump Link Toad. You can check that out. Forbes article. I, I like it. Jump Link Toad. Um, I, yeah, another inspiring story here, Michael. Uh, you know I kind of like all these uh, endurance stories. People doing uh, <laughs> doing crazy trips for basically... Not a lot of glory, but um, a Missouri woman recently kayaks the entirety of the Mississippi River. It's called going uh, source source to mouth, <laughs> source to sea. <laughs> it's source to sea. Uh, she did it in record time. Uh, she she is nicknamed the Mississippi Mermaid. Uh, she kayaks the Mississippi River in forty five days, eight hours, and seventeen minutes. The journey is 2,350 miles long. Um, pretty incredible little story. She, you know, had to plan for all different types of potential predators. She couldn't, uh, you know, eat certain foods at certain times of the day. Certain smells might attract bears if she was oh, really? eating in the mornings or, you know, certain, you know, some bears can smell things from like 20 miles away. Uh, does the river get like pretty narrow at some places, I guess, or, uh, like if you're out, I guess if she was, she was stopping along the way to well, and sleep. And she stuff. did say she encountered a lot of like beaver dams and other things that she, you know, potential hazards she had to go around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would imagine there are parts of it that, that got, I don't know, dangerous no or idea. like whitewater. I don't know. Uh, I think it's more of just like the endurance of going that far in that amount of time. Um, tell you her name. Her name's Tracy Lynn. Tracy Lynn Martin. She's a okay. nurse. A nurse from Missouri, Valdosta, uh, Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from Valdosta. Tracy, Tracy Lynn, Lynn Martin. <laughs> um, from she's from Sylvester. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, she has two autoimmune diseases. She has rheumatoid arthritis. And so mm-hmm. uh, she was diagnosed with this a few years ago, and she lost the ability to do some of the other activities she wanted to do. Uh, so she picked up kayaking, and um, she wanted that to seems, do, this, do this trip. Maybe is it like, I guess, this, I don't know much about rheumatoid arthritis, but does it affect certain, like, certain joints and not others? Like maybe it's in her knees or something? I think it does. I think, yeah, it affects other other. So if Other like joints, arthritis in your hands. You're not gonna be gripping an oar or something like that. But I, I, yeah, I think maybe in her feet too. I think uh, the feet's a common one. Gotcha. So you don't necessarily want to be like running or something or hiking. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I, I'm gonna drop. Uh, I'm gonna drop two jump links for this one. I think it's kind of interesting to read the like. There were articles written about her like going off on her journey, and then now there are articles being published today and tomorrow uh, of the finish story. So. Uh, the early article is going to be called uh, Mermaid Departure, and the second one is going to be Mermaid Finish. Um, oh, this this person was also the first known person in history to circumnavigate the three largest lakes in North America, like Michigan, Superior, and Huron, in one calendar year. She, she's, she's quite the record holder. Uh, she did 35, almost 3,600 miles paddle in 10 months. She's a beast. She's a beast. Yeah. It really kind of, uh, you, you think about how dangerous it is, kind of like what used to be like the Oregon Trail type stuff. Like, I know you're. she's got a kayak and she's, you know, I guess she probably has a cell phone uh, and GPS or whatever. So it kind of takes yeah. away some of the danger, but it's still pretty, it's really impressive. Um, For sure. To go that far, especially al- alone. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. Good job, Tracy Lynn. Good job. Thanks, everybody, as always, for listening. Uh, remember to, to check out those jump links. We'll put them in the description as well. Um, will we do that? Yes. We'll yeah. Do put them in the description as well so you can check them out there. Uh, let us know uh, not only what you thought about the show, but also if you what you think about the, the jump link itself. Um, have a great weekend. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Sunday is National Ice Cream Day, but you're listening to this on Monday, so... Hope you had some ice cream yesterday. That's right. And uh, enjoyed the Open Championship this last weekend. See you one. Yeah. <laughs> <Do> I, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say it on record. Uh, here, let's just name every golfer. All right. Name, yeah. See, I yeah. told you so. Yep. I who, think who, is be, who is your pick? Who is your pick? I'm going to take... Ooh. I'm going to take... Man, part of me wants to take a European just because it's over there, but... I think I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Uh, I don't know who you got. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I think I'm gonna take Louis Uthsaysen. Yeah. All right. I'll take uh, Colin Morcow. Nice. That's yeah. fun. That, that's the other guy I have in my in my pool. So I've got both of these guys. Oh, look, look at that. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. See ya.